Outdoor Edge introduces the all-new Razor Guide Pack. Coming in at 12 ounces and in a premium wax canvas roll pack for compact storage and travel, the Razor Guide Pack is seven blades in total, including a 5-inch replaceable blade folding knife, a 3-inch replaceable blade caping knife, and the flip and zip saw for wood or bone. Whether you're hunting the back 40 or chasing game deep in the backcountry, the Razor Guide Pack has it all. For more information, visit OutdoorEdge.com. Interstate Batteries offers a wide variety of batteries for your everyday needs. Stop into one of their thousands of retail locations and talk with a battery specialist about batteries for your truck, trail cameras, and even those weird batteries for your rangefinder. Interstate Batteries even offers cell phone repair in certain locations. For more information, visit interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. The Houndsman XP podcast is fueled by Joy Dog Food. Joy Dog Food has a rich tradition of supporting the Houndsman of America. Founded in 1945, Joy is proud of its history and the relationship it has built with the American Houndsman. And in 76 years, there's never been a recall. Made with 100% American-made high-quality ingredients, Joy Dog Food has one of the highest calorie-dense formulas on the market. For 76 years, this made-in-America product has kept hunting dogs in the field day after day, season after season. And when we say made in America, Joy has a long track record of fighting for American freedoms by being on the front lines against the animal rights movement and their extremist tactics. Joy will fuel your hounds and fight for your freedoms, fueled by Joy. is the Houndsman XP Podcast. Good dog, get that bear. Get that bear in there. The original podcast for the complete Houndsman. The podcast that represents our lifestyle of extreme performance. Get up there! Get him! Get him! Yeah! Good boy! Good boy, Ranger! Uniting houndsmen across the globe from east to west, north to south. You know, if you're going to catch a cat or a lion, you know, you have to have teamwork. We take you to the wildest places on earth. Yeah, so how many days how many days a week can you spend on As much as I can to be honest with you. Anytime that I get I'm I'm out there. Join us for every heart pounding adventure on Houndsman XP. I'll tell you like I tell everyone else, I'm gonna hunt whether you're here or not, so you might as well be here. <laughs> Uh, 
On this episode of the Houndsman XP podcast, we've got a great guest lined up for you that goes right along with what I'm going to talk to you about right now. I'm going to introduce him, but let me give you the big news first. And New Jersey's having a bear season. We thought it was going to be off. The animal extremist filed a stay through federal court to try to halt that. And uh, it had about a 24-hour delay or so, but bear season's on in New Jersey. Congratulations, New Jersey. Happy for you. I'm also extremely happy and uh, a little bit encouraged because the rule of law was upheld and restored a little bit of my faith in government this week. And uh, Brian Dowler with the Sportsman's Alliance is with us on this podcast. He's in charge of memberships. He'll give you his official title in a minute. But we have the discussion about uh, bear hunting in New Jersey, and we kind of break it down a little bit to the best of our ability. Brian does not work in government affairs. He works in membership, but he is on the executive team, so he's very qualified to talk about it. And uh, so this wasn't planned. We actually recorded this before the judge's ruling came out, and um, we discussed what was going on up there in New Jersey with this stay from the Humane Society of the United States trying to halt the bear season. Well, the good news is it's on, folks. The The voice of the people overruled special interests and these animal extremists. So good deal, man. Hey, let's talk about real quick what we are, are, are going to get to in this episode. Brian's going to break down uh, some benefits and and why you need to be a member, just, just like this case right here. We had a very small role as, as hunters. This was kicked up into federal court. But having your name on the rosters and being involved with a group like Sportsman's Alliance lets our whole government, executive branch, judicial branch, legislative branch, lets them all know that we're serious about protecting hunting and keeping hunting as the number one management tool for, for all all wildlife across North America. That's why you need to be involved. But we're going to go a little bit deeper. We're going to tell you why um, you need to be involved and what you're going to get when you join us on Patreon at the $12 level. And you're going to get your Sportsman's Alliance membership. But Brian's a, a, a hunter. He just got back from a bear hunt in Maine. And um, we're going to break that down, too. We're going to talk about bear hunting again on this podcast. Imagine that, talking about bear hunting on the Houndsman XP podcast. Let's get right down to it, folks. The Old South Dog Box is rocking. Let's get the tailgate down. It's time to dump the box. Briar Creek Kennels is your complete hound hunting outfitter. Boots, lights, collars, and tracking equipment. Dog boxes, kennel supplies, collars, clothes, squalors. Whew, they have it all. Briar Creek Kennel is a Garmin and dog tree dealer. Owner Chris Girth will ensure Briar Creek Kennel customers will get top-of-the-industry customer service. Whether you purchase from their website or you find them at a major coonhound event, Chris and his staff will share expert knowledge and experience about every product they offer. Chris Girth is a top competitor and breeder of hounds. He knows what gear you need to be successful. Look for Briar Creek Kennels on the web for a complete online store or look at their fully stocked trailer at any major coonhound event. 
Briar Creek Kennels, offering a hound hunting public generations of excellence. I've done it, man. I, I hit the record button, so you're on the air now, Brian. So everything from here on out matters, huh? <laughs> That's right. That's right. Hey, man, I appreciate you taking time to sit down with us and uh, run through some uh, just some exciting stuff about Sportsman's Alliance, the partnership we've got going with you guys. First, let's talk about your bear hunt in Maine. Yeah, it's a really, really fun hunt for me this year. I got to do something I've never done before. Uh, matter of fact, I hadn't really hound, hound hunted since I was a kid. I used to chase beagles with my grandpa and his delinquent buddies. Uh, probably <laughs> learned some of the, the more body things in my life and that, that group of hunters. But I uh, got to get back to my roots a little bit and try something new. A good friend of mine invited me to come up and participate on one of their hunts uh, in Maine up in the Cherryfield area. Uh, but I guess it's been almost two, two months ago now. Time flies. Yeah. But, doesn't it though? Yeah. That was very fun. Yeah. So how do, I mean, you guys catching a bear or what, what was the hunt like? Yeah, I think, I think their numbers for the week, I believe they, they went out eight days and treed seven bears. They got on seven out of eight. Uh, they were upset. They didn't have any I think it maybe had one two bear day, and they never had a three bear day. Oh yeah, my it, hunt was was really cool. It it happened a couple hours after the turnout, I guess. I never we didn't clock it exactly, mm -hmm. but uh, I think it was a couple hour long chase. We were in a cherry field area. Uh, this was my first trip to Maine as well as my first bear hunt, so I got to meet uh, some real local, legitimate lobster type people. That, yeah. that are very, very Mainer, as you think about a Mainer. And, yeah. man, I had a time of my life with them. I had food. You know, you go eat at a seafood restaurant, even even uh, I live in Ohio now, and you eat some decent seafood once in a while. But when you get to sit there and eat with the folks who pulled it out of the water, that's a whole different hunt, man. That was uh, <laughs> lobster, and I think they had scallops, and – the the one bisque had four or five different different kinds of seafood in it, and it had all been in the water that morning. Uh, isn't it amazing? Yeah, going oh, places yeah. like that just run you. It's like when I go down and and hog hunt with uh, down in Louisiana, seafood seafood's king, you know. And and you come up here, and then you you buy some shrimp, and you think you're going to cook them up, and it's not the same. Nope, it certainly isn't. Yeah. So that area was the uh, Blueberry Barrens. I got to learn a little bit of something about a different part of the country there also. Uh, well, share it with us because I don't know what you're talking about. The way I was explained to me is they, they go in and, and you're driving along and it's just this little, looks a little bit boggy, but it's not along the road. Mm -hmm. There's probably 10 inches worth of stubble when I was there in the fields. And uh, what it amounts to is just some really tasty blueberries that grow wild there after they, they go in. And I think they clear the land of the rocks and they, they grade out some of the gravel and they remove some of the rocks from the soil. And then they run what was explained to be like a roller chopper over it. Yeah. And then they don't touch them again until they harvest. And, and I think they harvest every other year. And the blueberries are teeny tiny blueberries. They're not the right. big old fat blueberries you find at the store in the winter in the States. Right. So they had a completely different taste. They were really sweet and really small. Uh, but the bears that we hunted were all feasting on blueberries and living in the barrens. So they, they, uh, 
Did you see any? Did you see any blueberry infused bear scat? No, the berries were all gone by that point. I'm telling you, man. When they get when they get in those berries hard, I mean, it's like a hazardous waste area. I I've bet. seen them. I've seen them in the huckleberries and stuff out west, and and uh, heard stories about blueberries back in the east up in Michigan and stuff. But it's like. Uh, Bears need a warning label on their butts for back blast area. I mean, it's just, it's something else. In the woods, <laughs> in the bear. I, uh, the, the only other comment I'd, I'd make to that is I was nine years old the first time I was ever in Canada. And we were driving along and it was a still steaming pile. of I, It had to have been moose, but that was the most purple pile of poop I've ever imagined in my life. And if it's anything <laughs> like that, I'm sure, I'm sure coming out of a bear that's had too many, it's something. Yeah. Yeah. They just gorge themselves. Bears are, bears are an amazing animal. They, they appeal to me because they remind me of me sometimes, you know, cause I can gorge myself on food and, and, uh, I can relate. I can relate to a bear. They're not real. They're not real graceful about things and they just like they sleep just, a lot. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I wouldn't right. be ashamed to put my head into a barrel and eat a bunch of cereal out of it. <laughs> you know it man you know it did uh so so you had a good time needless to say yeah it was a lot of fun uh we treed four bears while i was there we ended up killing i think mine and one more uh-huh and it, it just it was it was nice to hunt with a group of people you could stand around and talk and laugh but you were still engaged in it and things changed and just when you think you're a little complacent, you look at the garment and, you know, they've taken off in a completely different direction or something's happened. And next thing you know, it's time to leave and nobody's waiting on you. You need to be in the truck and moving. And that was, that was kind of interesting. It keeps it lively. Yeah. Uh, I got to, uh, I got to actually kill the bear with my great grandfather's, uh, 30, 40 Craig, my great grandpa Dallers. Uh, my dad's carried it since he traded <laughs> traded a gun to my grandpa as he was an older man for a fishing rod so oh okay that, yeah that history goes that far back with that gun and I, i've killed a few deer with it but this is a real controlled hunt you don't have to shoot far whenever it comes time and so there's a little nostalgia there i uh, got to carry one of my other grandpa's drag ropes with me great grandfathers so i had both of them with me on the hunt and that was special yeah so it, it just uh you know I'd, I'd do it every week if i got an invitation i think now the uh a lot of people that, that, so I guess maybe the best thing to ask is what kind of impressions did you have going into the, the bear hunt that were different once you experienced it? Did you have any predispositions, anything you were thinking about? Do you, any surprises on the hunt? You know, uh, nothing, I don't think surprised me completely, but I think there's a stigma that, that I could completely just dispel after spending days with handlers in a group of dog handlers. Uh -huh. Um, you know, I think a lot of folks think that, that bear hunters or, or hound hunters, maybe are, and I'll stick my foot in my mouth with your audience. Cause I don't believe this at all, but I do believe it's a stereotype where there may be hard on the dogs, little mm -hmm. abusive, that the dogs aren't really valued. And well, that's what the anti-hunters say every day. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. where it comes from. You know, yep. that comes from Walt Disney stereotypes going back to the 50s. and 
you know, a after lot the of different parts of our culture have, have led us to believe that, man, it's just not the case. You know that, but yeah. that's what I would take it away from it is I, I think you could illustrate that pretty easily if you I've spend seen, some time with hunters. I've seen some of the biggest, toughest guys that you would could ever imagine sit on a log in the middle of the woods and um, cry over a dog. You know, it's, it's, um, that important to us, especially, I think it even goes deeper for the guys that, uh, have spent their lifetime developing a line of hounds and, and raising those hounds from, I mean, they raised their mother, they raised their grandmother and, and they saw this pup born and, and there was a lot of thought that went into, you know, how we're going to breed better hounds and more effective hounds all the way down to, to, you know, now the dog is, is either been caught and killed, injured by a bear, um, you know, whatever it is, or maybe hit on the road. And, and it's, it's not something that the, the animal wackos want to paint us as, you know, just, um, you know, guys that, yeah, they got dogs and if they don't like them, they just dump them out in the, the forest and let them run around. They don't care. They don't feed them. That's, you know, that's all, that's all baloney. That's that's the exact takeaway that I took from it is is you don't ever want to be hard on a man's dog, you know I, I didn't I didn't do anything wrong but I learned pretty quick you don't put hands on someone else's dog till it's time for them to put them in the truck you know everybody's yeah. got their own way, everybody's got their own process and that's for the betterment of the dog, and and it's uh, it's not an investment it's your friend, and you want everything to be right for the dog and be be done the right way so that that's my takeaway is that it's it's far from what we've been trained and, and I had some ignorance more than anything. Uh, but ignorance, I, I, is, ignorance isn't bad. There, I'm, there's things that, uh, you know, all of us are ignorant in. We all, you know, if it's, you're not exposed to something every day and you don't do it all the time and you, you know, it's just stupid when you, when you learn something, but you don't change your behavior, you know? I think it's probably a parallel to the animal rights movement in a way that that it's a zero tolerance concept for people who are so emotional uh, about the idea of hunting or trapping or fishing or anything that's that's an active um, take and consume situation. Is yeah. they just it's just such a far polarizing belief that they can't come off of theirs at all, and and it's really difficult for us too. So it's it's. It's parallel to American politics right now where there's two polar sides and no one yeah. wants to really yeah. budge. You know, getting back getting back to, you know, how you interact with other people's dogs, it's it's kind of humorous, really. Um, you know, it, if you don't know what you're watching, if you're standing out there on the side of the road and a young dog, a, a, a hunter is trying to catch his hound. And... Um, um, you're all standing around the truck and this, this pups, this young dog's doing laps around the truck and won't let you catch them and seeing all these bear hunters just standing back with their hands in their pockets, watching the rodeo, you know, you just, there's an unwritten rule that unless somebody says, Hey, catch that dog, you just let it play out. Cause you have no idea what the, the hound, the, the, the houndsman is trying to, what lessons he's trying to instill or, or what expectations he's trying to accomplish there. But you just stand back and you're, your your gut instinct is to reach down and try to help, but at the same time, if you've been doing it for a while, 
you know that the best thing for you to do is just stand back and keep your hands in your pockets and just enjoy the show. Yep. <laughs> yeah, that should that should be on the window when you get in the truck as a as a client or as a first timer. Here here's five <laughs> things that'll be real helpful if you just stand and observe for a while. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh man, I'll tell you what, in this anthropomorphic world we live in, you know, I've got, I've got two house dogs here. Well, my wife does that, um, uh, you know, people will come over and, and they're a pain in the rear end. I mean, you try to have a cookout and they're, they're right under your feet and they're, they're sitting there and they're trying to get in beg food. And I'm like, don't feed that dog, you know, to my guests. And they look at me like, oh my gosh, he's and of course they always say, oh, he's fine. No, he's really not. He doesn't. It's not need about to be... you this time. It's about the dog, and it's about me. Exactly. And that dog needs to know what his manners are here. And climbing up on the table and eating the hamburgers that I just grilled is not cool. So. Nope. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you talked about something. Um, uh, the the emotional process, and I posted a, a news release from Sportsman's Alliance that came out about the New Jersey bear season that the uh, federal judge put a stay on. And um, since you work for the Sportsman's Alliance, I'm going to put you on the spot. What do you know about that? I've got some thoughts on it, and I'll get to them. But I want to hear I want to hear what you know what you know and what, what the chatter is in the office there about this deal. You know, it's it's pretty much back from their playbook. Anytime they don't like a ruling, they're going to sue and they're going to try to try to stick their foot right in the middle of the progress that's being made. Uh, I, we, we were pretty floored as an organization to uh, to see the reversal from Governor Murphy and and reinstitute that bear hunt in December of this year. Yeah, uh, that's, absolutely. You know, they've got they've got issues right now. Uh, some Second Amendment issues that I see, and I, I'm not really well versed in those. But you know, they're they're a really tumultuous state to begin with. But to get it right and get it back on board, because uh, public sentiment said, "Hey, we need a bear hunt." It's getting yeah. uncomfortable in this state with bear encounters. We've got some really terrible things happening to pets and animals, and we're way too closer to humans when we're just trying to walk a dog down the street to go potty. So. Right. You know, the people are even saying there, there's some scientific reason now that we need this in our state. And the anti-hunters are going to do what they always do, and they're going to use the legal system to, to keep it from happening. Even if it's just for one more one more season, they'll consider that a success. Right. Yeah, that's – it's it's not a – the judge did not rule that the bear season is not going to happen. It was just another strategic move by – what was the Humane Society and what was it, Friends of New Jersey Wildlife or something, another, you know, Friends of the Humane Society um, that that got a judge to put a stay on it. And then uh, they had until 4 o'clock on the 3rd, no, the 2nd, December 2nd, the state did to file rebuttals. And then the Humane Society has until the afternoon of the 5th to file their motions and different things. So with the bear season supposed to start on the 5th, they were strategic. They knew when they filed this day, they could have filed this thing right after the governor signed it, but they didn't. They waited until this week because they knew they could get it tied up in court and litigation and it wouldn't happen. You know, legally it couldn't happen. There's no, no shortage of legal horsepower in those organizations. That's all they are. 
They're comprised of lawyers and marketing people. And, yeah. and they've got way more lawyers and they've got marketing people. So it's, mm-hmm. it, it's, it's hard to stay too many steps ahead of them. Um, we're right there. We're right there on it again. Like we have been now for several years. I, I, I'm not so prepared to give it, but I think this has been going on for three or four years now anyway, mm-hmm. since they haven't had a hunt. Yeah. Yeah. There's a couple of thoughts I had about it and I, I kind of did a little dialogue last week on the podcast about it, but you know, the founding fathers never intended for the judicial branch to be the, the activist for special interest groups. And, um, they have a purpose there. It's, it's a solid purpose in our government system, uh, to have oversight on the legislative and the executive branches and to make sure they're operating within their authority, according to the U S constitution. Uh, but this federal judge is a federally appointed, uh, a politically appointed judge. She, it's it's not an um, an elected position, and the special interest groups are now using finding. They're going out and searching and finding these judges who are sympathetic to their cause or will listen to their cause and act on their behalf to help them accomplish their goals. And when I look at that, I'm thinking. This isn't what the Founding Fathers intended for them to do. As far as I know, the governor didn't overstep his authority. Nothing that he did went against the management plans for Black Bear. It didn't supersede or or override anything that the wildlife professionals, the biologists, the science said they needed to do. Do you know of anything? I, I don't. Yeah, I don't either. I don't either. At some point, we've got to get this thing back on track. Sportsman's Alliance, uh, you guys did just file a, uh, you've been filing, when I talked to Todd Adkins from Government Affairs, I said, the thing I like about the Sportsman's Alliance, you guys, you guys are suing them back. (laughs) Yeah, I'd say we're we're glad to have Todd on. He's a recent hire. He's been with us about seven months. No, closer to the year now, I guess. Yeah. Eight, nine months anyway. Um, Todd's a sharp guy. He's a great legal mind. Uh, he's not afraid to get in and mix it up. And oh, we're, we're more active right now than we've been in a very long time as an organization, but, uh, they're kind of, they, they're still setting the pace. You know, we're still chasing the antis and, and trying to out, out Fox them. Um, yeah. and, and I think we've got a good shot at it. We've got a program we're building that's going to add to our legal acumen, uh, which is what it takes to win. You've got to have the ability to file and file quickly and, and intelligently mm-hmm. when the time's right and beat them at their own game. You know, a lot of folks don't know that the antis just turn around and, and when they they sue, if nobody fights them and they, they find in their favor, then they sue the government. Then they get to get their money back for the legal fees. So it's not even a net loss on the, the legal end. That's right. When they're making money at it. Yep. So, yeah, they're making bank by filing lawsuits. They're increasing their bank accounts, for sure. Well, let's talk about what you specialize in, Brian, because um, you know what you do is very important for uh, the Sportsman's Alliance, and we can tie some of this stuff back into to what we're talking about right now. Because, um, but let's talk about what what you do there for the Sportsman's Alliance, Brian. So my title. Uh, is vice president of membership, but I like to introduce myself more often as just a world-class carny for conservation and, and <laughs> the future of hunting and sports, uh, fishing and trapping. Um, 
I, I cover our corporate partners area of the business, our club memberships, and uh, our individual memberships, and all the fundraising that goes with that. Mm-hmm. The other side of fundraising in the organization would be our grant side or our, our donor development side. Uh, and, and fellow named uh, Aaron Carmichael runs that for us. But my, my job is to create memberships to find sportsmen and people who believe in our cause and, and make them an offer they can't refuse until we can educate them just a little better about what we do and turn them into long-term donors. Uh, we've gotten really aggressive over the last two years in our direct mail programs. Uh, we started testing out with about 25,000 pieces of acquisition mail in the spring of 2020 and the responses have been really strong. Um, I think people right now see that there are honest attacks that are coordinated at state and federal levels against the future of hunting. And there are some backdoor deals that are being made that we never get to be represented in. And, and we don't really know all the damage that's being done right now. And the time to act is it's very much right now. It's, uh, I hate to be a doomsdayer, but, but I don't love the future of hunting and fishing some days when I go to work and I, and I get to hear what's coming after us. Uh, I'm proud of the people I work with. And I think, I think we're going to dig in and keep, keep a, a solid footing for hunting in the future, but it's an aggressive front right now. And I, uh, I get to be a part of the team that's trying to fix that, that to, to put the anti-hunting movement back a decade or two and um, create a solid voice for sportsmen. Nice, nice. We'll get into uh, we'll get into the different ways um, people can join and different things like that. But I, I want to talk about um, kind of take this opportunity to thank you for uh, helping us get everything ironed out for us to start, uh, you know, rounding up more members for the Sportsman's Alliance. When when people join us on Patreon and and um, uh, you know, you were instrumental in that, Brian. And uh, we we sat in a Zoom meeting, and and you got excited about it, and you made it happen. So I, I appreciate that. Well, yeah. At first, you're welcome, and second, thank you. Uh, anytime we get a chance to communicate with and educate sportsmen out there about the challenges that are coming up for them and for us, uh, we're a stronger stronger organization. Um, mm-hmm. We've said for for I've been on the team now for two years, and when we when we talk about the things that kind of keep us up at night, visibility is still our number one struggle. Um, we don't have the budget, we don't have the the depth, we don't have the the lawyer structure or the marketing teams that dozens of anti hunting organizations have that are working against us. Uh, so we need to fix that. We need people to know who we are by name. We need to be a household household brand for sportsmen that know when something's wrong or something doesn't smell right, that we're the, we're the organization to come to and we're there to help them in their state and in their, in their regions with the things that are going to challenge sportsmen in the future. So we are the line in the sand. Uh, we can't do it without sportsmen knowing who we are. So thank you for the chance to, to be on your podcast and to reach out to your people. And uh, to everyone that's going to see the things in the mail from us, that uh, should be a two-knife set already showed up or on its way very soon. Um, if you qualified and your magazine will be around four times a year, we love mm-hmm. to hear from you. Anytime, anytime we can do something for you as a sportsman, we're a resource. 
sportsmanslliance.org is a way to find us and and reach out to us. Let us know how we can help. Well, the thing I like about the Sportsman's Alliance is your structure. You've been you've been doing it for what? Sportsman's Alliance has been around for what, 43 years now? 45? I, I think we're we're actually closer to 45 right now. Yeah. Yeah, and so that and you've got you've got people on the ground in Washington. You've got legal staff. You know, this isn't a, a social media campaign or an email campaign to organize hunters. This has actually got some structure to it, and and it's effective. It can be a can be very effective. That's a fact. We we we're a group of professionals. We're not a, we're not a big organization right now. We're we're at around fifteen employees. Uh, but we've got a lot of people on staff that have, have been in the nonprofit mix fighting for sportsmen in one organization or another uh, for, for a lot of years now. So we're mm-hmm. small, but we're, we're pretty mighty. We throw our, our weight around pretty well when we have to. Um, I hate to say that. You can't see me, thank God, on this podcast, but I throw a little more weight than I'd like to. <laughs> so, so what does that look like? I mean, when we talk about government affairs, you Sportsman's Alliance actually has people in Washington. What are they doing, right? I mean, what what is their function? Can you tell us a little bit about that? So we, we work with some lobbyist groups in, in Washington as needed. Uh, we, we stay more in the in-house arena. We've got Todd and a few people in our, our legislative team. We are very effective at, at watching. Uh, we've got alert systems and structures out there where if legislation is introduced on any level and it meets our keyword criteria, uh, they get an alert, we read into it, we'll set it into one status or another, uh, either pretty imminent, or something to watch, I'm going to botch their terms, and, and Todd wouldn't be proud of that. But essentially, <laughs> there's, a, there's a graded system of how, how important it is and where we need to move it in the, in the urgency sure. um, act. Yeah. And they do that. They do that really well. And and then, you know, threat assessment, just, it's basic threat exactly assessment. It. Yeah. Yeah. So when it gets real, then, then there's a series of steps they'll take depending on the issue and the challenge at hand, uh, either going directly to the legislator that introduced it and educating them on the problem, why it's not positive and why they're about to hear from their constituents. And then very often, if they don't pay heed to that little warning, We'll go and, and unleash the education side of what's happening in that piece of legislation and encourage sportsmen to act and call them and give them very easy ways to reach out and tell them just what they think of mm-hmm. their bill. Well, and uh, be- a lot of times we're able to defeat it at that point. And then other times we get into amicus briefs in, in Alaska that are long running issues and New Jersey type issues where we can't yeah. can't solve it at the front end. And that's where the great expense in the great depth of, of need and staff and funding comes in when they're the long, they, they do get through that first and second layer of the, the legislative process and they eventually become law. Then we have to resort just like they do to the lawsuits and, and the very legislative litigious approach or litigious is more, more accurate mm-hmm. approach to, to making it constitutional. Like you said earlier. Yeah. Yeah. It's the, uh, do you have any idea just chatter what a group like say center for biological diversity what is their annual budget do you have any idea well i don't but i'm going to find that out probably while we talk yeah 
and the and you take just one of those groups because you said humane society and then a dozen other groups that have big bank accounts you can talk about Center for Biological D Diversity, the Mountain Lion Foundation, uh, Humane Society of the United States, PETA. There's four right off the top of my head, and I'm not even hurting my brain yet. You go with the Friends of Vermont Wildlife, um, the coalition out around Lake Tahoe for the black bear. You know, there's all kinds of, of these organizations that are backed and funded by, by people that have got the money to do that. And... But so how is the Sportsman's Alliance? Did you find that find that budget yet? So I've got a, I've got a 2016 statement right here. Just right. Center, Center for Biological Diversity, 501C3. In 16, the revenue is reported at $14.758 million. Expenses at just right under four, just right under $14 million. And they had assets of $20,370,536. And they've only been around since 1991. $14 million in a year. Closer to 15, yes, sir. Annual revenue. So how does that compare to uh, the annual revenue of the Sportsman's Alliance? Um, that's, I'm, don't, I, don't want us to, I don't want us to be talking about trade secrets. at least three times our annual revenue. So how, how you, would, you would think that... There's no chance. There's no chance that we can defeat that, you know, that kind of a budget and that kind of a, you know, that's a Goliath type organization. That's just one of them. The Humane Society has got a budget just equally as big or bigger. And so, so how have you and how have we as sportsmen and the Sportsman's Alliance been so effective over the years, in your opinion? I think the reason that, that we're effective is our industry and and there are there are pockets of donors and people in our industry that step up whenever it's really scary. And that's kind of been our operating function for years. Uh, because the 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 issue may be in California today, but Minnesota tomorrow or or New Jersey forever <laughs> or California right. forever, but but they it moves. Uh, and it's been really difficult to, over the years, to find a, a fundraising model that lets us go be in 50 states when some states will never have, or, or hypothetically, not for a very long time, have um, hunting-related issues like you see in those states I just mentioned. Mm -hmm. So it, it's, not, it's not like some of the other organizations, like, like a Second Amendment-type organization is the same in all 50 states. Yeah. Right. That the issue is the same in all 50 states. Mm -hmm. uh, we are growing, though. Uh, in the last few years, our membership has doubled each year awesome. for the last few years. Uh, Man, that's unfortunately, great. we weren't starting with 100,000 members at that point to double that. We were starting with a few thousand members. Mm -hmm. but, but we're over 6,000 and on our way to 7,000 and up. And we have a, a donor base that's tripled easily for two years uh we're finding new new ways to raise money through pretty giant raffles compared to anything we've ever done mm -hmm. uh, the one that i'm running right now is a, a half million dollars actually five hundred three thousand dollars worth of prizes uh, yeah i want to i want to save that one i want to come back to that for sure okay. Brian, and tell people about that raffle i've been getting the email alerts on it it looks awesome the tickets are 
affordable. Looks like a great. Uh, I want to. I want to get back to the membership thing, though. I want to ask you about. You know, I, I, we we average between fifteen and twenty thousand people that listen to this podcast every week. And when you tell me that what your membership numbers are, then it, it raises a red flag in my mind, and it makes me wonder. You know, why aren't we getting in the fight? Why aren't we getting on board? And, um, um, you know, if we could, if we could just, if we could get 10% of those, if we could get, you know, 200 more, if we could get, you know, and start there and keep working on this, we can, we can make a difference. And the reason I ask you about the budgets and everything, you know, those, those special interest groups, a lot of that budget goes to pay for big time executives and, and, you know, they're making six and seven figure incomes sitting at the tops of these corporate organizations that and then they spend a little bit of money to to further the cause of their cause for saving Bambi. Is that accurate? Yeah. So I've actually sat and listened to some presentations firsthand at, at direct marketing conferences over the years and listen to, to folks that work for different organizations. And I, I'm not, I'll, I'll botch it if I name names because I, I don't obsess over them. But it is interesting that the animal rights movement's not afraid to spend a lot of money to create a donor. Mm -hmm. and, and by a lot of money, I'm talking sometimes into the hundreds of dollars to create that sustainer type donor that gives them $4 every month as Sarah McLaughlin cries on TV and begs of them for just a few dollars a month. Mm -hmm. that that's very expensive yeah we'll never see the sportsman's alliance buy an ad time on cable television trying trying to beg you for money because we can't afford it we would never be able to afford that they're willing to go so far into debt just to create a donor because they know that once they turn that emotional tide that they're going to keep them for a very long time and it's going to be profitable for them in the long run mm-hmm to, to your point, you know, if, if half of your listenership or if every one of your listenership were I'd to go and buy a $35 membership right now, that would be, that would be very, very, very significant for the future of this organization. I mean, it, it would, it would grow us faster than we're able to do in, in the direct mail. I, I, next year, I'm going to make about all oh, 5,500, 6,000 total new members again. Yeah. And I'm going to go in debt to do it. And I'm going to do it because I know that once people see what we offer and the things we do for them, they're going to stick around and be our members and be our donors. Uh, every time we can find someone that can, can step up and help us create those memberships and those, those people who are educated now in the future of hunting and, and understand what we do just advances us so far so fast. All right, so that that's a good segue into what I want to talk about. Let's talk about the different levels of membership. I want to talk about organization membership, individual memberships, you know, things like that, things that can that can really um, make a difference. And I think for most of our our listeners, you know, right now the place to start is with individual membership. Okay. Um, you know that what what did you say the cost was for the individual membership? So our, our membership levels um, are tiered. We, we have multiples. I'm actually pulling it up so I don't botch it. I don't have these memorized either. But online right now, uh, the first level membership is $35. Uh, 
and that's just a Sportsman's Alliance hat. It's a nice blue stitch kind of trucker style cap that gets you your Sportsman's Advocate four times annually. Uh, and there's some other member discounts and through a partnership, that's a one time, one year offer. Uh, so if you're a year, you know, a three year member and you've already used this benefit, it's no longer valid. But one time in your membership subscription, you'll get a Hunt Stand Pro membership and that's worth 30 bucks. Mm-hmm. We jump up to the $50 level, which this is actually a steal compared to 35. And I sell a lot more 50s in the 35. Is the same deal. It's the same hat, Sportsman's Advocate, but I throw in a two knife set. Uh, really nice, grippy, rubber, orange handled set. I always like to make them an orange. Uh, I worked for the National Wild Turkey Federation for years, and folks thought I was crazy because I set made my or- my knife handles orange for turkey hunters. Right. But if you ever lay a knife down in the woods when you need <laughs> it and you can't find it and it's covered, orange is just the way to go. So that's why I go orange. And then we jump up to $100, and it's all that, plus a really nice stainless steel uh, wild gear tumbler. And then we're up to $250 is all that, plus a $25 Cabela's gift card. And then they're progressively on to $500, $1,000, and I don't want to go through all that. Sure. But it's sure. a tiered, tiered system. Um, we do pretty well with retention. Uh, I think once people see – what we do and they understand it a little more than that initial, that initial membership purchase, they get it and they stick around for years as members. Okay. Yeah. So there's the, basically there is a membership package that basically, I mean, it can fit anybody's budget. And when you, when you start talking about the initial costs and then what you get back, um, just in benefits, I hate, I hate pushing stuff like that, you know, and, and, but we we all do it you know you're looking for value for your dollar but this is where i come from it's like you're you're investing in freedom you know um 35 dollars to have a voice out there that's doing all the things that you've already covered you know you've got you've got alert system setups you do threat assessments you do email i mean i get emails I don't know, three or four times a week, at least from the Sportsman's Alliance. I know what's going on. I can, you know, it, it's just that part of it. I know how to react and I, I can read up on things and, and be aware of where the threats are coming from. And uh, so there's a there's a membership package at any level for anybody that that wants to be a part of this thing. That's right. That's right. Whatever, whatever your ability, your interest is, we try to be there for you. Um, if you're not able to or don't want to join uh, on a financial level, go and sign up for that newsletter uh, or just shoot me an email. I'm bdowler at sportsmansalliance.org. That's B-D-O-W-L-E-R at sportsmansalliance.org. I'll get you hooked up with our newsletter so you can at least get our alerts and our emails. Yeah, It's no cost at all. Uh, we hope that after you see what we've got going on, that you'll, you'll feel compelled to be a part of it. Circling back to, to where our problem, as it were, it's not really a problem because we're still successful. But mm-hmm. um, I think sportsmen are a little apathetic in that they feel like their state's not going to be a problem. Can't happen here. It's not. It's not going to happen in possibly Mississippi or Alabama or, or some of the states like Iowa that are really good to hunters. 
but but we're only we we know our our friends in the trapping world have a little bit different world every few years mm-hmm. you know it, there there's no segment of hunters that are absolutely immune to the bad that could come to the future of what we all love and and the things that I did with with my forefathers when I was just a little kid yeah you know I grew up on a little farm in West Virginia and I thought everybody did. That's one of the things that, that I've grown up as a hunter and didn't realize that everybody didn't have 110 acres to walk out the back door and squirrel hunt when they were 12 years old. And and that's taken me a while to understand some some hunters have it completely different than me. Now, I can't really identify very well with a Western hunter. Love, love to learn it someday and be out there right. with those guys. But yeah, we I mean, all have our little pockets that we understand as sportsmen. And it's hard to believe that that your pocket can pop, but it's a reality. It's not a. It's not guaranteed anywhere. It is well, a fight. You t- you can take something like uh, coon hunting in the state of Indiana. You know, you've got we've got an overabundance of raccoons here. We've got homeowners that are complaining about uh, you know raccoons in suburban areas getting in the eaves of their house. I've I've been to these calls before. Uh, where raccoons are nesting, you know, building dens in people's attics. And uh, uh, farmers, of course, the agricultural damage, that sort of stuff. So if you just look at it from that standpoint and you think, oh, they'll never out, you know, they'll never make it illegal to hunt raccoons in the state of Indiana, you're probably right. The problem is, is that the way the antis are coming about it is going to the local level to get ordinances passed where you can't have a dog tethered, where you have to bring your dog in if it's below 30 degrees, if they have, they can't be outside if it's over 80 degrees and they can't be outside for more than an hour. They're not trying to attack that part of it because they know they can't defeat that. So they try to legislate our ability to have our hounds or our abilities to, uh, to hunt the the methods for hunting rather than attacking the hunting itself. That's it. That's it. And, to just continuously grind and make things so difficult to yep. stay legal and, and to stay, you know, the, the number one reason more people didn't, and this is a 15 or 20 year old, maybe uh, statistic. So I don't know that it would still test this way, but I think it would. Uh, the number one reason people didn't want to become duck hunters and become waterfowl hunters was because the laws are so complicated to stay legal that they didn't feel like they could do it as ethically and legally as they'd want to do. And they just didn't show interest because they couldn't identify ducks on the wing or they didn't know the point system well enough. Um, oh, man. And even and, at that, I, I was in the business of, of enforcing those laws. And I would have to study that every year because this year you, can, you can't kill a canvas back. Pintails are not a, or you can kill one redhead, you know, this year it's two mallards, but only one hen or no hens, you know, so every year it changes. I know exactly what you're talking about. It's and I very, think that's just a parallel and that's, that's their attack is, is complicate it and, and confuse it and make it so expensive to stay legal and ethical and, and follow everyone's rules that folks just are going to shrug their shoulders and give up. And nobody wants that. I mean, that's a terrible ending to this. Right. Yeah. You look at the kids and you say, Hey, let's, uh, let's play little league baseball or soccer this weekend. Let's not hunt. That's too complicated. You can run, anybody can run around on a field and kick a ball around. That's right. 
so yeah, I've seen that firsthand. I've got a, I've actually got a funny, uh, it was a life changing story for me as a, as a conservation officer. Um, there was a guy, there was a guy and three kids and they were rabbit hunting. They had some beagles and all three kids had, they had oversight. These were little kids too. They had, uh, oversized hats on, you know, adult, adult hats on a kid's head. They had sock hats on, you know, they had, all, and dad was wearing a Cincinnati Reds baseball cap <laughs> and, uh, they're out there kicking brush piles and stuff. And I, I walked down there and of course chat, you know, have a conversation with him. I was like, how's come you're not wearing an orange hat? He goes, man, he goes, I got up this morning. I thought I had enough hats for everybody. I looked around. He goes, and these kids, I promised these kids they could go rabbit hunting last week and um uh so i brought him out here and i know i'm wrong so i threw on a red hat hoping it would pass i was like well technically it's not legal to do that you know and just buy an orange hat when you when you get the next you know go to walmart and buy an orange hat on the way home he's like i'll do it but you know i left that in that that um that situation thinking about that and i thought if i would have taken enforcement action on that situation the guy's clearly trying to do the right thing he's trying to keep his kids safe he's got them all where they need to be to be legal he's trying to be legal the best way he can at the time and uh, if i had taken enforcement action on that at that time i just thought man next weekend when the kids want to go rabbit hunting he's like nope we're going to the movies nope we're going to the mall nope we're going to go sign up for you know soccer league it's a lot or worse yet the kid the kids never want to go again because they were afraid their daddy was going to go to jail yeah we're trying to yeah. take them out to do something they wanted to do for for months yep exactly exactly officer so. discretion in the conservation world is a big deal I, I i hope that everyone that gets a chance to follow it is as someone in that profession whenever they've got youth around in particular take that under consideration i, yeah. I think it's a big part the future of our sport is is making sure that even even well in particular uh interactions with law enforcement go smooth and and you know as smoothly as possible for the kids sake you know and i'm not saying that that every time i came up i could be i had to do a job too when i was doing that um but in that situation a dad with three kids he tells me a story like that, and I see the totality of what's going on here. I knew he, I've got three kids. I know exactly what he was talking about. You know, everybody's yep. standing there trying to get hats, and it's like, "Why'd you put your hat? We're supposed to be leaving," you know. And and I get it. I got that part, you know. But but it wasn't. A, I mean, if you check check around, it's not everybody doesn't have warm and fuzzy stories to tell about me when I was a game warden. I can tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's and there's there's times officer discretion just isn't appropriate. I mean gross yeah. overtake and those kinds of things you yeah. can't you can't bend on some parts but the places you can bend and give that that kid a pat on the head and tell him to make sure his old man's safe next time yeah you know, that, that goes That's a whole a lot idea. further yeah yeah all right so let's talk about let's talk about organizations how can organizations say uh you know a state hound organization they're looking for some place to um maybe bolster their their effectiveness and because i think there's a lot of stuff that the sports the sportsman's alliance can offer to state organizations that want to partner with the sportsman's alliance how does that work so it's it's uh 
it's just that we have a what's called a club membership. Uh, they're tiered starting from two hundred and fifty dollars up to five thousand um, dollars. Those memberships come with a, a list of benefits, a lot like the individual members do. Uh, mm-hmm. They will include five uh, annual memberships for uh, officers or anybody that the club designates um, that should receive those memberships. And and really, any club that's in that situation that wants more than five, again, I want I want everybody that we can to know what's going on. So I gave my email out earlier in the podcast. Shoot me an email if you need a magazine sent to your club. Uh, anything that we can do to show you the list of benefits or I can interact with you about. That's B Dowler, D-O-W-L-E-R, at sportsmansalliance.org. Reach out to me. I'll put happy it in to- the show notes, Brian. Oh, that's great, Chris. Thank yep. you. I'm happy to talk with you. We, uh, we're we primarily club-based in Ohio. You know, it's clubs are are uh, kind of a funny term as far as hunting clubs go. It, it can be anywhere in some states from a, a just a group of people who lease a piece of property to hunt together right. as a club. Yep. Uh, so here in Ohio, you have very defined sportsman's clubs that have regular meetings mm-hmm. and gun ranges and lodges and, and hunt on their property. So, so clubs are really adaptable for us. We can make whatever work at whatever tier you're able to support, and we're able to give you benefit back. Um, would would love to, to hear from anyone that has an interest in, in joining or that we can answer on that. It's something that we haven't been staffed up to really be aggressive and to pursue over the years, and and it's a program that I, I plan on working with uh, our our manager for events this year here in Ohio. It's going to get him back on the road and, and revitalize that program. Um, here in Ohio specifically, we have several or a few in-person events, uh, fundraising events, and they're a great network to one activate uh, when we have a legislative issue. So that's, that's one yes. benefit that we enjoy the most out of that club membership is if, if there's an Illinois club and we have an Illinois issue, we're going to call those club presidents and, and alert them to the situation and, and try to engage those folks in the issue uh, and represent them. Yeah. You know, that's, it's, you know, we, we are an alliance. We're a coalition. We're a coalition and alliance that changes at times, depending on the issue. Um, you know, it's, it's, we're always pro sportsmen, but there, there may be a group we don't work with until there's an issue in Minnesota or California okay. or wherever that may be. Right. Uh, then we step into the, the group of sportsmen's units out there where, you know, we have similar missions at times uh, to other organizations, but Dallas or the Safari Club organizations are great partners mm-hmm. when, when there's the right issue to work with them. We work with what I call or we call affectionately the critter groups, Turkey Federation, right. Ducks Unlimited, those organizations. Rocky, Rocky Mountain, Mountain Elk. Elk. Yeah, they're a great yeah. supporter and, and – you know, they're, all those organizations are there for sportsmen. I've been been either friends with or worked for several several or all of them over the years. Mm-hmm. And we've got a great crop of people out there working for the future of sportsmen. Uh, well, but it's th- those groups all have other focuses. And, mm-hmm. and we're really the only group that day in and day out lives and breathes and sweats over the future of hunting and fishing and trapping. Yeah. So let me give you – let me talk to my leaders and my hound organizations out there. Uh, what we did with the Hoosier Tree Dog Alliance is we would use the benefits that we got because I think there were, 
you know, there was some merchandise that came with that and different things. Well, we'd use those as auction items at our banquet. So that's, that's a money generator for us. And then those memberships, what we did with those, uh, if we had like a lifetime achievement award or a sportsman of the year award or whatever, whatever that award we were giving away, we would include that membership in that award. And by being a member of the sportsman's Alliance, I was able, there were a few times that I'd called over to, uh, the office there and it's kind of like, it's, you know, the old adage membership has its privileges. And when you build that relationship and, and they can see that you're actively supporting, um, the organization, then things run a lot, a lot quicker, you know, expedited. Um, I'm not saying that $250 is going to get you keys to the office, but, uh, it's, it's definitely, it's definitely worth the effort to, to get your state organization involved at the, at the most effective level you can, and then use those benefits for your own banquets. But then it's like, Think about what you just said. So, you know, say the Colorado Houndsman Association um, decided that they were going to be affiliate members or of of the Sportsman's Alliance, and now they've got an issue, and they call the Sportsman's Alliance. Well, sport, you guys have already got contacts with the Wild Sheep Foundation, Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation, the Mule Deer Foundation, all these other impacted and affected groups that this this lion season could affect. And it's easy to get the ball rolling at that time. Instead of sitting back and being like, okay, we're, I'm the president of this state organization and we've got this problem, now what do I do? When you're a member of the Sportsman's Alliance, you pick, the first thing you do is you pick up the phone and say, hey, we got a problem. And since you guys have been doing it and have done it for so long, then you already know what calls to make and you can help and you can assist. That's exactly it. That's it's we, we can't be everywhere all the time, but once we know there's an issue, we can expedite and, and cut through a lot of red tape through relationships, yeah. uh, through, through experience. And, and the, the key is very often being, quick to act when the issue comes up you, mm-hmm. know, you can't you can't tarry and, and spend months at a time uh, trying to understand what step you want to take because the opportunity can be gone and then again you're 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 fighting a law rather than yeah. than a bill and it's right. much harder to fight a law than it is a bill you bet you bet well, Brian, let's uh, let's shift gears, and I want to talk about the uh, raffle that's going on the half the half million dollar raffle you guys got. Spend the last few minutes here uh, showcasing that thing and and uh, breaking it down. Thanks, Chris. I'm proud of this one. Uh, we got uh, got our fundraising butts handed to us a little bit in the first half or the first three quarters of 2020 uh, with COVID-19. So we put our heads together and build a monster, actually a mega raffle is what we call it. Uh, and this is our third year running it. Uh, last year we were at 265,000 in prizes. A lot of the outfitters worldwide, really. Uh, we've got a couple really nice African and several really, really nice Argentinian uh, dove trips and, and Dorado fly fishing trips in Patagonia. Uh, nice. They, they, some of the, the outfitters across the globe have struggled a little bit and they reached out and said, Hey, 
we, we'd love to donate to you and, and uh, reach out to some of your members and start filling lodges. So we have some beautiful offerings. Like you mentioned, it's just over a half million dollars worth of prizes. Every ticket that's purchased, they're $100 a ticket. Uh, I'm going to sell hopefully 10,000 of them. Um, we'll quit selling at midnight on December 31st of this year, Central Time. Last year we did Eastern. This year I did Central because I wanted an extra hour of sales. Uh, <laughs> folks yeah. seem to, seem to want to wait in December to buy their tickets. We did about 90% or 80% of our sales probably last year in the last two weeks of December. So if you have any interest in it, uh, go ahead and go buy those tickets because they're very likely to sell out this year. Uh, every ticket, though, is entered in every drawing. There will be 210 drawings. The grand prize is $40,000 cash. I'm going to give away a lot more cash than that. Say that again. How much cash? The the singular grand prize is $40,000 cash. Woo. So that would be on a $100 ticket. We'll win $40,000. Wow. That's a good deal. We think yeah. so. Uh, I've got 65 guns in there. Um they're all really nice guns. They're all guns I'd be proud to put in my closet. Uh, we have, I think, $100,000 total cash prizes, two tracker UTVs, uh, I think uh, about $15,000 each. Or there's a cash offer on those if you don't want the UTV. Um, some really nice South African safaris. We've got some yeah. carbon Hoyt bows uh, that are just really, really nice bows. Just a, a ton of prizes. The 50-50 last year went for right at $178,000, I think the total pot was. Man. Um, I think we'll sell more tickets to it this year. We're, at, we're a bit ahead already. We're just just tickling $75,000. According to email, somebody last year won $87,812.50 on that 50-50. Yep. That's awesome. All right, so tell me about this part. Every time I buy a, uh, I'm scrolling through your email. Um, it says it says something about um, every time, every ticket I buy, then you enter into every single drawing. How's that work? So you buy the hundred dollar ticket, yep. and there are two hundred and ten drawings, and that ends up making each entry into that into that giant raffle each chance to win that is uh about so, 48 so i'm gonna cents. have 210 chances to win on 100 bucks that's right wow cool and then the 50 50 is 25 dollars per ticket that's one time drawing and it's just like 50 50 or in the at a basketball game mm -hmm. or a, a, a game in the in a football game and they pass the hat and they do the 50 50. Yeah. We don't do that in Indiana, Brian, that gambling's from the devil. Oh no. <laughs> no. <I'm> <laughs> <laughs> everybody, every, everybody's seen it, whether it was on the up and up and that's just, <laughs> that's it. Right. you'll take half the pot. You do have to pay taxes on it. That's, that's the part we always hate to have to tell people is it is very yeah. taxable income at that volume. Hey, if um, I went, if I went, $87,000 and I got to pay some taxes on it. That's a lot more money than I started with. I started with 25 bucks. 
I think I could I think I could suck it up and be okay with it if I won that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean nobody's ever happy paying taxes, but yeah, that'd be a good that'd be a good little pull. And Not uh the worst have to do it. How you doing on t shirts? Because when we buy what is that what is that? When you purchase like one ticket and a fifty fifty drawing, then your guys are gonna send us a free t shirt too, right? Yep. So so uh $125 or more total spend. We're going to send you a t-shirt spend 250 or more. We're going to send you two t-shirts and spend 375 or more. I'll send you the two t-shirts and a, a grunt style hoodie. Uh, we were able to do this, this outdoor, um, with federal ammunition yeah. and CCI ammunition, great friends of our programs. Um, supporters of Sportsman's Alliance for a long time. Had a bunch of extra T-shirts and asked me if I had any idea what to do with them. And I told him absolutely I did. I, I'd love to be able to get folks to act a little sooner and maybe buy one more ticket to get that uh, get that free T-shirt or hoodie. They're really nice. The 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 hoodies are dark or they're black with um, with white on them. You got the federal ammo right there. You yeah. can see it all at sportsmanslliance.org. Click on the banner. That'll take you to the web, uh, the mega raffle site. There you go. Uh, it's the easiest way to navigate to it. And it's got it all broken down right there on the front page. And I'll, I'll put a link in our show notes for this, this podcast. So wherever you're listening, you just scroll down. We'll have a link right to sportsmansalliance.org. I'll have Brian's, uh, email in there. So, uh, yeah, easy access here, Brian. Sounds like an awesome, awesome deal. What's that math come up to? I always try to make them really big and really cool. And we've got enough people now in the donations, donations, uh, business partners, folks who wanted to help out that like what we're doing and see what we're doing every day. I I don't know where it ends up at a half million dollars in three years. It could be really cool next year, but don't wait for that. Right. Right. Yeah. we, We just talked about $14 million budgets from the people that are trying to take our rights away. So if you can sell ten thousand of those at a hundred bucks, that's a million dollars. That's still a still a long way away from you know even a, a quarterly income for for the people that are fighting against us. So here's my that's challenge: it. get that hundred dollar bill out that you've been saving in the back of your wallet and go buy one of these raffle tickets. Even if you don't win, it's going to be going for a good cause. But if you do win forty thousand dollars. It feel pretty cool too. Oh yeah, <laughs> or even you know, even if you turn that that hundred bucks into a five hundred dollars shotgun. Heck yeah, heck yeah, I like it. Well, Brian, I appreciate it, man. I know uh, uh, you guys are working hard, and and like I said, I really appreciate the partnership that we've developed with you guys, and uh, looking forward to a strong future working with Sportsman's Alliance. Same here, Chris. Thank you all. Thank you all for taking the time to listen. You bet. All right, Brian. Well, until next time, you follow your hounds and I'll follow mine. Good night, brother.